all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Capital Stack Podcast. My name is David Paul. I am the host where we talk to founders, entrepreneurs, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am talking to George Wang, who is an investor at AV8VC, which is uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of venture capital um, money within a couple of funds, uh, mainly focused on seed and series A. George is focused on their healthcare practice, which I am very curious about. I'm really lucky to know George because he is very knowledgeable about this black box, which is healthcare technology. Um, I want to loosen George up a little bit, you know, because mm. George, what do you, what do you think of this? Is that recent? Yeah. Tell, tell that, it to, to the audience. That's not, that's not in uh that's not watching on YouTube. What do you think of that? Uh, David is missing uh, one of his uh, front canines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, mi- I'm missing. Do I look bad? <laughs> Just do I look, do I look badass? Do I look like a hockey yeah. player? Or- <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it looks like, it looks so clean that, like, yeah, it looks <laughs> like you, you did a stunt or something. What, what happened? Yeah, I just I bit I bit into a pretzel wrong. Get, get out of here! <laughs> yeah, no, I have no, been no it's, way. It, yeah, it's a it's a long story, but okay, and it's not important. I want to talk about healthcare tech, Let's and I want to that. talk about your your journey. Um, I have so many questions. I actually don't prep a lot for podcasts, but like you're oh, somebody okay. I, I I definitely want to learn from because okay. like. You, you know so much about so much. So give me a little bit about the George Wang story and then yeah. AV8 and then we'll go into into my questions. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, so started my career off in healthcare consulting. Um, we could talk probably uh, a bit about that later. Uh, but essentially, um, you know, I was like 23-year-old analyst, uh, you know, just like an Excel junkie uh, <laughs> for my partners for like two years. But – we sold a lot of work to health system CFOs, um, and it was eye-opening. I think at twenty-three, you know, just to see how like this industry operated. And then, after two years, uh, this is when I think New York health tech really blossomed. Um, this was 2017, 2018. Um, Zocdoc had been a unicorn for a while. Uh, Oscar um, was about the time when they really scaled, uh, and also Flatiron got their exit, and so. Uh, all based in New York, all downtown, um, and you started to see a lot more people paying attention to it. Um, I think simply the fact that you had a lot of early employees at these companies, you know, leave after those exits and start a few companies of their own. And I briefly worked at this one company called One Oncology, uh, which just got acquired by Marisource Bergen. That was announced maybe a month ago, um, and this was essentially the first 10 employees at Flatiron Health. Uh, worked briefly there, um, but got offered this seat to be an early-stage healthcare investor at Global Founders Capital, or GFC for short. I spent my two years as a VC, analyst, associate, whatever, there. Um, COVID hit, 
um, and ended up helping to start uh, my own fund called Valiant Capital. This was in late 2020. Uh, I was there for, I think, two and a half years. Uh, we were trying to raise for a Series A fund, half enterprise SaaS, half healthcare, uh, mostly centered around Series A, early growth style of investing. Uh, learn a lot there, right? Uh, having to you know manage a fund, even just formation. Um, I think the whole process there was interesting of itself. And then, of course, you know, pitching essentially what is a financial product to LPs and raising money uh, was a education in of itself. Um, we raised a good bit there uh, and deployed it all. Um, but one one macro tailwinds shifted. Um, ultimately, didn't look like we were going to raise the rest of the fund, and so ended up here at Aviate Ventures, based in Palo Alto, uh, working for two GPs. Um, uh, that I've known for quite a while. Um, and the fund is not all healthcare. Uh, it's really, I would say, a Series A fund on anything B2B. Healthcare being one of the industries that we focus on quite a bit. Um, I've known Rashida for five years now and uh, joined officially last September. Um, awesome. Um, super, super cool career trajectory. Going in one direction, had to quickly pivot, still in the game. Uh, and still working for a great firm, you know. I, I see them in yeah. the news, and they fund some some pretty great deals. Um, what I really wanted was, um, it's nice to not, you know, I don't mind. Probably one day we'll have to, you know, talk to LPs again and do it on my own. It's it was, it was it's nice to just be able to invest, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a little yeah. bit. That's all I have to worry it about. It's just working with founders. Yeah, it is. It is good. Um, at the end of the day, though, you do need to know how to. I call lick boots, right? Yeah, <laughs> because it's really, it's, that it's is its own skill. It's its own skill. It is a, it is a completely different skill set than than investing. Um, you need to make people feel like they're the smartest people on the planet, and you need them, and you know, like to come on yeah. this journey. And you know, this is a you know, kind of at the end of the cycle where everybody was an investor and everyone was going up to, to the right, and everyone thought they could do this. And um, I think we're gonna have a a great um, blading of the industry where yeah, a, a yeah. lot of tourists are no, are no longer going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure our conversation will lead that way. Uh, but it's interesting to see the effects of the froth, uh, both in, both in investing and fundraising from the last few years are definitely showing its effects now, I think in 2023. So from a healthcare, which is a rubrics of, of, um, of, different aspects you have payers you have providers you have employers you have and that's just on the the human health service side there's bio there's you know pharma how do you as an individual like to focus i mean are you mostly doing a lot of thematic uh investing or are you just kind of going geo like how do you how do you get smart yeah Yeah, it's a good question um i think Everyone at the early stage will tell you that they're thesis driven, uh, which kind of you need to be, right? If you're going to take a bet, when a company is you know less than a year old, nothing's been built, there's no customers, they might have, they may have an MVP. Uh, you know that's like thesis driven investing, right? Because you're you're investing in the potential outcome of the business mm-hmm. um, with a thesis that you've synthesized in your head. Um, we're probably not like the most thesis driven fund on its own. Um, but we, we do do that, right? Um, there are spaces that we like quote unquote cover and like spend a lot of time in and try to find founders and companies. So I think for, 
the last two years, and I think you know this, David, I probably spent, I think, most of my time in healthcare payments. Um, and there's a couple of couple companies that I liked um, and still like. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where the entire sector was looking at it. And so those companies are, are, are a bit hot, if you will, at the moment. Um, and if we're talking about, I think, maybe like a macro shift in healthcare VC in itself, I think we're starting to see a bit of froth come back in. And, you know, happy to comment more on that. But at the moment, um, and these are like two sectors that I've always liked, rather just one, I would say, is life sciences software. And that is like um, the reason why I like healthcare is that it's not just like one industry, right? It's, I, I joke that like almost each care specialty could be its own industry in of itself because there's so many nuances, mm-hmm. different set of like players, doctors, entities, payers involved. Um, and the other one is um, it's more kind of abstract the way that we talk about it. But I think it's a nuance of spending so much time in healthcare, looking at digital health. Uh, we still look at digital health, but the way that we describe it is we enjoy anything that is taking on risk, which is also, I think, that is following a broader trend in healthcare. I don't want to say value-based care because that's like the, the original term for it because uh, that used to mean different things like bundled rates for, for a care journey. Um, but I think if you kind of take a step back and just say anything taking risk, it makes it more interesting because it opens up a, a different you know world of opportunities. Um, and happy to dive in more on that. But essentially what we say is a lot of these companies start looking like fintech companies, you know, at scale. Because if you're, if you're taking on risk, you essentially created this stable recurring cash flow and you just have to deliver care, right, in some format, whether you own it or you don't own it, whether it be of partners. But you are making a bet that you can deliver care below what someone is paying you monthly or annually to do so. And, you know, you keep either 100% of the profits or, or a rev share of that. But, you know, um, the reason why I say it almost looks like a fintech company is, is, is that, like, you know, I think even the way that we can maybe start valuing these companies and even operationally, right? Like these founders all of a sudden starting caring about cash flow, right? And what you do with that rather than like a revenue multiple uh, trading on an enterprise value multiple, right? Or a net revenue multiple. Um, and so that's kind of what I mean by that. Happy to dive in more because I know it's pretty, pretty high level. Uh, oh, and then uh, I would say for the last year, spending a lot of time in spec pharma, specialty pharma. Yes, I want to talk about Specialty Farmer. That's on my okay. list. Yeah. Uh, but first, before we do that, I want to talk about your superpower, right? And this isn't not just my observation. This is observation from lots of people I talk to in the field about this unicorn that is George Wang. And that is, George, how do you get allocation, bro? You are the allocation. You, you create allocation when there is none. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, David. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, you know, not sure uh, who you're speaking to or, or who these viewers are. It's funny because, um, you know, this is one thing I remember like all LPs asking is, right, right. the biggest question is like, what is your edge, you know? Um, and, you know, I could talk about that process a little bit differently. Um, someone asked me this recently. I think it was maybe a VC who just maybe started their, their resting career like a year into it is um, – 
I would say, <laughs> uh, my first partner always liked using the word like running through walls, like, willing to be able to run through walls for something for someone. Um, and what we meant by that was like being able, like being willing to run through a wall for a founder, because um, founders notice that and they can see the difference. Um, back when we were fundraising at Valiant, and even now, we would say like we would try to be the most helpful cap, you know, investor on the cap table for somebody. And when it came down to like founder references, right, like with new founders, it's like, hey, like, you know, what do you do to help out your portfolio companies? I say, you know, I'd rather just show than tell, you know, I, I think I have a, a small group of portfolio companies that I still work with from my current fund, from my previous fund. And I know each of them, right, if I reached out, would, would be willing to, you know, speak on, on my behalf of what I've done, right, like how willing I was to do it. Um, and the second aspect of that, of, of actually getting allocation, I always say, um, you know, we always, uh, again, back at GFC, my first partner, we talked about, like, Getting into deals that we shouldn't be getting into was like what we mm -hmm. tried doing. Uh, you know, we were competing against mega funds um, with with term sheets that were like way too rich for us, right? Because they're playing a different game uh, than us. But we would do so just to be able to like get visibility, right? To see what was going on, right? To get a look at the company, to see what was going on, why I was being invested in it at this valuation, why they need a check of this size. And I think that comes down to, you know, I think a blend of again like. I don't want to say like not taking no for an answer, but I think polite persistence is a way of putting it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, because I'm speaking to a, a public anonymous audience, so choosing words carefully here is um, <laughs> it's just like being, I don't know, being likable, you know, just being like a, a reasonable person to work with, an honest person to work with, like that someone is like, okay, like, He's a dependable, honest guy. Like I can trust him with this bit of data, and I know you know he won't take this and do something, uh, you know, uh, negative with it, right? Or that will like kind of harm what I'm doing. Um, and uh, I think that's where the best best bits of deal flow come from. It's just like these little tidbits, right? That like you can mm -hmm. chase down, and it um, strings you know, that you just pull that you get. Yeah, yeah. I used to joke in my last one is just like. You know, like hearing stuff through the grapevine where, you know, came from a little birdie uh, may not like end up in something, you know, actionable, but it could be something as simple as, oh, did you hear so-and-so like left this company? And it's like, oh, no, I didn't. Maybe I should reach out and see what they're up mm -hmm. to. And often that actually comes up in something, actually. When someone says that, it usually means that like that person is starting a company within the next six months. Right. Um, and that's the best way I think of winning a deal is getting in there early. Build, again, building a relationship, right? Um I belly actually, to belly. Like, yeah, you know, when I speak to a founder, I actually don't like it when they have to pitch. I think it's unnatural, mm -hmm. you know, like this isn't Shark Tank, right? Like it shouldn't be like Shark Tank where you're like pitching me on something, um, especially at the seed in health tech. I mean, come on. Um, it could be like two more years before we see any dollar and then like another two to three years after that before we see like a, like a real substantial business. And it's more so like, you know, like, I think of this job as like being an actual like capital partner and doing more so than that. Cool. So, you know, I, I, I was really felt interested about kind of what you said and you, you kind of quoted healthcare VC froth and from somebody that's more of a tourist in, in healthcare, 
I just did my first healthcare IT deal. Uh, it was not my first of my new firm um, in January, and I'm kind of getting caught up. Is healthcare, and so I don't like play because I know you guys all compete against each other and you know yeah. all know each other, and it's a closed club. But like when you say healthcare BC froth, is that how like what's the similarity and what's the differences between that and just BC froth? Is it? I think it is. I it, think it is, is it correlated or is it? I think it's correlated. Yeah. I can't speak okay. on other industries, right? Uh, I have a lot of friends in crypto. I wonder if they're seeing the same thing. Um, I know US US early stage fintech kind of paused for a while uh, in the last few years because all these founders, you know, <laughs> pivoted to crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of stuff happening in vertical SaaS. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. I don't spend a lot of time in it. What I mean by fraud, it's not quite like 2021, 20, 2022 in terms of volume. But what we are seeing is like large checks again. Uh, and like large, big aggressive, checks, big seeds. Aggressive, aggressive. Yeah, big seeds. Uh, you know, we always like talk to each other, right? Like as any VC to get pricing data, right? Because we, we price, you know, there's like an objective pricing. But that at the early stage, we can't tie that to like actual business performance. So it's like relative, right? Uh, you know, um, for, for the longest time, we had no data on like what a normal A looked like because none were getting done. Uh, and then, like at the pre-seed seed, like we were seeing stuff in the sub tens, right? Like stuff like from like uh, my first two years of my career, where like that was like normal. Like you you, you gave somebody like two on eight, right? Uh, I would say in the last two months, uh, that completely went out the window again. You know, and we're just mm-hmm. seeing. Um, yeah, again, it's not like 21, 2022, 20, but it is similar in the way where, again, like, like you know, fundraising processes at this stage are taking maybe two to four weeks again, right? Um, where, like, the next round gets done um, maybe like a month or two later because the investor hmm. didn't get out enough allocation. I mean, I, I'm actually guilty of this, too. I was uh, the last two I did that we closed in January. I first found it when there was like pre-seed allocation and uh, we ended up wanting more. So we just preempted the next round like a month later. Nice. And so big, big uh, surge in healthcare tech, digital health was telehealth for X, right? Yeah. Back in yeah. 2020, 2021. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I look at it as, hey, you're aggregating providers and you're putting some tooling in together. Is there is there a lot of value there? Do you think does that industry have legs? What differentiates the wheat and the chaff uh, from those companies? Like uh, from five years ago, or the ones now? Well, both. I mean, like the ones yeah. that like were raised in 2021. I mean, as long as their 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 capital their cap table is not toxic i'm yeah. just thinking of the category in general yeah like, yeah no and i have like a simple answer for that is when you talk to these digital health companies of telehealth for xyz right it's i think it's a very apt way to put it um is uh in the very early days uh you're trying to just find any kind of patience right to prove out that like to your investors that the business exists exists but two like your care delivery model, right? Because if you're if you're kind of virtualizing a specialty that has been touched, right? And it was all in person before. Um, there's also like a need to prove that it works, like in a virtual like kind of setting, right? And so um, the first you know five hundred thousand patients are usually D to C, right? If yeah, you, like, that's think expensive about as fuck. Yeah, right? yeah, and it's like not um, you know, and it's like you get in this thing of like looking at it like a consumer like product almost like what is LTV to CAC, um, 
and you know, it's you could probably think about some examples where uh, maybe that was the wrong way to look at healthcare. Like we're not selling glasses, we're suitcases, <laughs> we're we're treating people. Um, the difference now kind of blends back to what I was saying is there's companies right with the right management team and the right model and like the excuse me the right approach where all these companies I remember like maybe when I first started were pitching yeah we'll, we'll do D to C and then we'll win payer contracts right yeah because that's the best way to go about it right you get large multi-year contracts thousands of patients um, but it's hard to do so right like this takes years to do right even takes the right personnel of, of being able to understand how to speak to these payers. But there's companies now that I see at the seed who are coming to me with payer contracts already, already. And I think it's also maybe a macro trend. I'll get to that in a second, but that's interesting, right? Where, you know, companies where it's like, I have this many lives waiting for me to tap into. I am just raising cause I need capital to hire to service those people. Um, but the macro trend that I just mentioned is, again, I, I think um, I don't want to call it VBC. I just want to say like risk, some kind of risk bearing contract is that like uh, all of healthcare is interested in finding out ways to pay for performance, right? Which is kind of this bundle rate performance benchmark based kind of contract where it's I will pay you this, just deliver care, right? in this specialty, whatever we agree to, and you can keep the savings. Um, yeah. And let's and not think, pay MA, right? Let's leave Medicare yeah. Advantage off to the side. How sure, can you do directly sure. from insurance yeah. to the, to the on-risk people? Because yeah. then you're just, you know, you're just getting middle twice, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, in healthcare, back to the beginning, it's like, you know, this murky, murky landscape. It's a very interesting industry, right? You have a lot of entities. Everyone has their own incentives. None of it's aligned, right? Everyone says that. Uh, I think this is like a, you know, and this is not like rocket science or anything unique that I'm saying here. But yeah, once you give a provider group like kind of these like parameters of, because again, like when they, when health systems like maybe used to bill, like they would bill for whatever services they wanted to, right? Um, And then you would get in this whole kind of issue with the payer of adjudication of how much we're actually paying, right? Then you have patients stuck with like these crazy expensive bills. And then, then, you know, in terms of like, uh, Medicaid, right? Like this just ends up on a state state's balance sheet, right? Like um, in the hands of the taxpayer. Um, and it's interesting. It's just common, like I think, normal psychology of like going to provider group now and saying, "We're just gonna give you this much. We know we used to pay for this much, right, through like billing, but we're just gonna give you this much in this time frame for these services. You figure it out." And like mm-hmm. the thing is, like most of them do, <laughs> you know? Right? It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, necessity breeds a lot of innovation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about specialty pharma. Yeah, um, <laughs> I uh, didn't know that this would be a topic, but happy to talk about it uh, because, and it also kind of like lends itself to life sciences software that I've always spent time in. Um, I can start with that thesis for that is, uh, you know, I hate to use like outlandish terms like this, but, you know, we are like in this kind of like a boom cycle of biotech. People are calling, bi- you know, the golden, another golden age of, of life sciences and drug development. Um, and like, it is real, right? Like, um, for anyone who got the COVID vaccine, which was a lot of people, right. Um, forgetting like everything, like we could talk about that, just like the science in of itself. Like, I think, I hope people realize like how cool it is that like we 
synthesized this mRNA molecule, right? It's a biologic. That's kind of a trend, that word right there. It's organic, almost not, it's not living, but it's a live molecule that like teaches your body to, you know, at the cellular level or even down to molecular level to make a change in of itself, right? Rather than kind of, you know, maybe like uh, medicine from like 10, 20 years ago where it was uh, inorganic molecule base and we were trying to see like what kind of effect it would have on mechanism that we're actually like changing, right? Like the way that our body kind of like operates. Um, and that's like cool as hell, right? Um, and this is from Moderna, which is a 15-year-old company and they were using this tech to like find cures for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, right? Uh, and like, you know, what time are we at? Oh, we're at 25, 24 minutes because I could speak on this for, for a bit. Is I, I mean, the stuff coming down the pipeline is unreal. Like, you, you know what sickle cell anemia is, right? It affects mm -hmm. 30% of the world's population. We've always been able to treat it, right? But, like, for diseases like that, like we are really, like, capable of solving it. And so in sickle cell anemia's case, I can't remember the drug name itself. It's, you know, it's like some molecule-like name, condensed, right? is that we have this thing, drug coming down the pipeline that will actually teach your body, right? It's, I believe it's RNA in a viral vector to actually create normal blood cells, which is huge, right? Because um, you have sickle cell anemia, right? Like uh, the way that your body respirates oxygen um, is that significant like uh, gap from a, a body with normal blood red, red blood cells and, and kind of like... Um, the, the network effects of that is it's outstanding. And so here herein lies the problem of specialty pharma, right? And why it's so interesting to me is that this is just for sickle cell anemia, right? I, I think over half of the drugs and drug development these days are biologics like that. Um, these researchers are stupendously smart. I you know when I talk to some of these guys, because well, we do some biotech investments too, it's like you're getting like I'm getting a lecture from a PhD at Oxford who is one of five experts on this exact thing. Um, and, uh, you know, what I'm getting to is that it's expensive. The sickle cell drug, um, the list price, MRSP, if you will, is 3.6 million. Right. And I think uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's like maybe like 30% of the world's population has it. Mm -hmm. And so if the case is that more and more drug, more and more drugs like this are coming out, which they are, uh, and, and this is like stuff of need right? Like we are genuinely changing someone's life. Um, who pays for it? And like mm -hmm. the answer to that, how do we pay for that society is really the question. And the answer is we actually don't know. We actually have no mm -hmm. idea. We have no, we have no idea. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, um, where it covers, you know, it, cover, it covers children now, right? Because um, the drug is best suited for someone with like a sickle cell under five, because you would change like this this kid's entire life, right? Health outcome wise and lifestyle too. Um, but Medicaid is a state funded program, right? And currently we just have no solution except uh, that like, you know, this comes out of taxpayer money. So MRNA, RNA, these biologics, I mean, that's kind of a, a recent phenomenon, but I feel like uh, ambulatory infusion, home infusion has been a trend that's been going on a little bit longer than that through just, you know, infusion drugs, right? So, like, what was the driver of that? Was it just personalized medicine? Uh, can you repeat the question again? So, I feel like um, 
growth in specialty pharma came yeah. before COVID a little bit. Like there was more like, you know, I just saw this big ex or mass um, push to ambulatory surgery centers, infusions, you know, yeah. home infusion. Yeah. So like what yeah. was the big driver in that? Uh, just because it's, uh, I, you know, we can get to the meat of that really quickly. And it's that um, – the, and it starts with like the list price I was talking about. No, no one, no one in the world actually pays that. Uh, yeah. By the way, nobody pays 100 percent of the list. It's like buying a car. This is an analogy right. we're joking about. Actually, we have a company at Spec Pharma. By the way, this is my last investment. We're joking about this at a recent in person. Of it's like buying a car. You never buy a car <laughs> at list price. Um, but whatever discount you get isn't like a flat discount, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's like. If you and I walked into a you know one dealership and bought the uh, the same car, we would probably get different discounts on it. Um, the thing and the, the thing I think is interesting here is I wouldn't really know like they wouldn't tell me what you got right. Like we could talk about it together, um, but I say that because um, this is being conducted by the PBMs at the moment, right? And I think people have referred to PBMs as a genuine black box. Um, yeah, the devil. I think it's like, I think people refer to them as Satan. Yeah, um, I'm going to be cautious about my words when speaking about them, but you know it's always been privatized, <laughs> um, and and they're owned by payers now, uh, which which is kind of nice because it's now okay. Like the people who actually foot the bill have control of these entities, but these PBMs go out to manufacturers, and they they're the ones that built the formularies right for for insurance plans, which is like this is the list of drugs that we will offer. You know we will cover for our membership. Um, and you know, if you're Optum and you're serving United, like that's quite a number of lives and you have bargaining power. Right. But what that PBM gets on a certain drug from manufacturer, you know, is unknown to the public and it's unknown to everyone else in the industry, except the manufacturer, of course. Um, that's like one bit of the wonkiness. Um, but what happened also, I think when these drugs are starting to come out is, like you would expect to get this at, at, at a hospital, right? Like this is like uh, advanced medicine. You probably want to like get it. I'm in LA, but you probably want to get a place at Cedars in New York. You probably want to go to Sinai or Presby, right? Because that's where you feel safe, where you feel comfortable. Uh, and again, I'm being cautious with my words about what hospitals are doing here. Uh, but sometime in the last decade, um, they've all kind of like obtained their own pharmacy licenses, right? Mm -hmm. And so these pharmacies... Um, but sometimes negate the PBMs um, and buy, there would be their existing, you know, own GPO, group, pur group purchasing org. Because if you're a hospital, like you have scale, right? You can keep inventory. Uh, I think that's interesting to note because these biologics have expiry dates. They need to be cold stored. Some of the more expensive ones, really expensive ones like Zolgensma, I think in 2022, just for CMS, because that's all the data we have, was only, was only um, infused just a little over a hundred times. And so that manufacturer was actually making this drug like in time for that person. Right. Which is also interesting to think about. Um, but what was going on, what is going on? Um, I think it's decently well known if anyone did a quick Google search is that hospitals are marking the heck out of this drug. Right. Um, there's a transparency act, I think under the Trump administration uh, about how hospitals charge for, Various services, right? It was funny. It was just it made it easier to see <laughs> how much hospitals were, were charging this stuff up. Um, can't remember the consulting firm that does this annual report, um, but I think it was, I think it was over fifty percent were getting marked up over two hundred percent of the list price. 
and again, it's it's the real markup is more than that because the hospitals weren't getting this at list price; they got a discount. And then I think like thirty percent were marked up over like three hundred percent, right? Yeah. Um, and even with Mar- uh, even through Medicare too, because there's like this Part B loophole that people were using, uh, and there's this whole thing about rebates too, rebates too. And so, again, like you know, you can guess who fits the bill at the end of the day, and it's the payers. Um, and that gets into a whole kind of pro- <laughs> funny issue itself, where you know you have this adjudication thing going on, where it's like a doctor's like, "Hey, like this patient needs these drugs. It's actually probably life saving. It's like a heavy need for it, right? Like this isn't some kind of like nice to have kind of infusion done." So the payers is a spot of like, "I can't say no. Like this is going to end up in the press, but I also don't want to, you know, <laughs> cover for something that's a million dollars for this one life." Um, and so there's, there's been this phenomenon known as white bagging, um, that is also well written about, and it has that name because what some payers are doing in cases like this is that they're actually going to straight to the manufacturer, buying the drug and shipping it, white bagging it to the patient's house, household, and telling them to go just bring it to an infusion center and get this done there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like, you know, the, in the less, I call it sketchy in the less sketchy case of mailing it to whoever prescribed you, right? Which is probably a specialist, right? Because these are drugs that are most often prescribed by specialists who are private practice. Um, but for various reasons, those specialists, and there's a lot of reasons why, weren't doing these diffusions in-house in their own practice for their own patients and sending it back to the local health system for the patient to get the drug. Got it. Got it. Uh, the sketchy land of healthcare. Um, yeah, <laughs> George, I um, I got to go pick up my twins, and okay. um, there's a gazillion questions I want to talk to you about, and yeah, I'm gonna have you fun. back on. We're getting drinks in two weeks, aren't we? Yeah, you're in LA. I can't wait. All right, it's cool. Gonna be we're gonna get ha- we're gonna get hammered. <laughs> um, so with that, everybody, uh, quick quick question, George, what's your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Uh, okay, wow. Um, this is so people know I read a lot of sci-fi. I mean, like what BC doesn't. But my favorite novel ever, and I don't know, I can't explain to you why I like it. It's called *Wuthering Heights* by Emily Bronte. <laughs> uh, there's a movie actually. It was adapted to it. Like it's always been adapted because the British love adapting these Victorian novels. Um, it's called *Emma*, uh, and it's about the author. Um, I listen. I don't read a lot of Victorian you know, novels I have, you know, in college and high school, just for some reason, I think I've read this one, maybe like 10, a dozen, a dozen, a dozen times. Got it. Okay. Best piece of business advice, investing advice. How about that? Best piece of investing investing advice advice. you've ever received. Oh man, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I think I like, that's why I love this job, right? You learn something new every week. Um, I think the one that I use the most, it's not going to make you rich, um, but it may stop you from, uh, it may stop you from, you know, big losses is I have this rule that I don't think, and again, it it doesn't have to be this exactly. You'll see why, but I've always half jokingly said that I don't think I would ever work with a founder unless I could like know that I could get a beer with him. Like Mm -hmm. I could hang out with him on the weekend. It doesn't have to be beer, but like, um, Again, when we're investing at this stage, you're, you're entering like a five, seven-year relationship, 
right? Uh, and it gets into people's lives. It's not just. It's not it's hard just to work job. with assholes. It you know, really is. Yeah, it's not a nine to five kind of like gig, right? Like you're you're partnering up for a long relationship, and it's it's like genuine thing where it's like you don't have to be friends, but it's like. Do I want to talk? Like, you know, if I need to, can I talk to you every week? You know, like on a Sunday night for the next five years. Mm-hmm. I, like, I Facetime my guys at like two in the morning. Sure. Yeah. So call, call the beer. Call the beer <laughs> test. Can I? Can I? What I mind? What I like getting a beer with you? Not feel like it's like work. Actually. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Capital Stack. We drop an episode every Tuesday. If you like it, subscribe. If you have an awesome health tech opportunity, look up George Wang. He's on LinkedIn. He doesn't have a picture because he's a fucking weirdo. (laughs) Um, But uh, hit him up, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.